0: Hey everyone, hope that you are doing well this week. We are in part two of our series entitled Legion. Uh, This series is all about the idea that there are lots of different things that can be considered enemies of our lives, but we can absolutely find victory over those things in the name of Jesus. And Last week we talked about anxiety and some characteristics of God that really highlight his desire to be brought right into the middle of our anxieties. It is real. And it is something that we all deal with on different levels, but we get to deal with it with God and with people. That we would become people who are willing to invite Jesus right in the middle of our anxieties, into our worries, into our uncertainty, and also do life with other people, that we would carry each other's burdens. This week, we're going to talk about doubt. And I think it's a fact that we all experience doubt. It happens in our relationships. Uh, we doubt ourselves and our own abilities. We doubt that God cares for us or that he even exists. It's an enemy that can creep in or it can be something that clouds our vision so much that it's hard to even think about getting past it. However, doubt isn't always a bad thing, and it isn't something that God is surprised by. He He fully understand understands our human Doubt. But this week, we're going to, to walk through some different verses about doubt and how we can deal with it, and even how we uh, can benefit from it. That we as human beings, about ourselves and in our faith, how we can benefit from doubt. So, the first passage that we're going to look at, look at is Genesis chapter 18, verse 10 through 14, the story of Abraham. If you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, he had been promised that his descendants were going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And at this point in his life, him and his wife, Sarah, are probably in their 80s or 90s, and they hadn't received a son yet. And so it was going to be really hard for them to have descendants. So so where we find ourselves, Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, it says this. It says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So because Abraham had been promised that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and he didn't have a son yet, it would probably be pretty easy for him to have some doubt. It would probably be pretty easy for Sarah, his wife, to have some doubt. In their old age, it didn't really make sense in their human mind how they were supposed to have a child now. But this kind of brings us to our first point, is that the Lord's response wasn't anger. The Lord's response was that I will be back this time next year at the appointed time, and Sarah will have a son. So the first point this week is God is not offended by our doubt. God is not offended by our doubt. Many of us, myself included, fall into a mentality that if we are not 100% sure, 100% of the time, that things will work out, or that God is working on our behalf, that if we're not 100% sure of those things, he will be greatly disappointed. That We have this perpetual thought that God is always going to be disappointed in our brokenness and our messiness, but God is not surprised by our doubt. God is not surprised by or offended by our doubt. Obviously, God wants us to have great faith. He wants us to have great faith in him. He wants us to have great faith in the plan that he has for our lives, but he's not naive to our humanity. He does not expect perfection. He expects effort, that we would become people who, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our uncertainties, even in the midst of our anxieties, like we talked about last week, that we wouldn't be people who are perfect, but we'd be people who are constantly trying to become people with less doubt and less stress and less anxiety and less worry as we are approaching the throne of God, that we would surrender to him more times than not, and that we would just put in effort, that we wouldn't become complacent with our humanity or complacent with our doubt. What I love about this story is that God could have been like, are you kidding me, Abraham? Like, that's it. I'm finding someone with more faith than you. I'm finding somebody with more faith than your wife, Sarah. But instead, he doubles down on his promise. Instead of getting offended or instead of getting angry, he says, no, I'm going to be back, and I'm going to prove to you that you are going to have a son even in your old age. And it goes to say this, is that God will use our doubt to prove his faithfulness. God will use our doubt to prove his faithfulness. What we have to come to realize is that the unexpected often impacts us differently than the expected. Uh, when I was about 12 years old, one of my friend's moms was diagnosed with with cancer. and She had 17 tumors all over her body. And it was just this, this crazy experience where it wasn't my mom, but it was a good friend's mom. And it it felt like a a part of my family. And this was my first uh, experience with the thought of like losing someone really, really close to me and in cancer and just all the things that go with that. And and for a 12 year old, it was very, very overwhelming, but we all prayed for her a lot. And I was so fired up and so on fire for Jesus. And and I I was just expecting that God was going to do something absolutely miraculous, but scan after scan happened. And there wasn't a ton of healing that came. And so I remember this, like, Vivid memory of leaving their house We we went over to their house I was hanging out with my buddy um, His mom on the outside seemed perfectly fine It was late stage cancer So they really weren't doing very many, much treatment So she really seemed fine, just tired And we were watching Sunday Night Football And I left their house, my parents picked me up And I just remember just being like Alright, I'm done having faith Like I, I had tapped out, I had so much doubt That God would, would possibly show up And then the next week she had a scan And all of her tumors were gone And we're not talking like one tumor being shrunk. We're talking about all tumors being gone. And I remember just being flabbergasted by what God had done. And it reminded me that that God is not dependent on my faith, that God is not uh, going to make his decision on whether I have great faith or I have great doubt. And I remember going up to her and being like, I'm so sorry. Like I stopped praying I stopped praying. I stopped believing. I doubted that God would do anything, and she's like, that's okay. I didn't, and I just remember being like, oh, yeah, like I'm not the only one with faith, and I'm not the only one with doubt, and, and God is not dependent on me, and I, I truly believe that God loves honoring great faith. I think he loves showing up and providing, and I think he loves showing up and providing miracles when we are prayerful and, and we are full of faith, but I think he also loves showing up when we least expect it. That He loves to say when we think that all, all measures are gone, that there's no chance, that God's like, watch me, watch me. Nothing is impossible with me. You see, God does not bail when our faith is small. He just continues to instill reasons for our faith to grow. He is a promise keeper even when we forget the promises made. He is a promise keeper even when we forget the promises made. There's a quote from a college professor, his name is Pete Enns, and it says this is, Doubting God is painful and frightening because we think we're leaving God behind, but we are only leaving behind the idea of God we like to surround ourselves with. The small God, the God we can control, the God who agrees with us. Doubt forces us to look at who we think God is. Doubt forces us to look at who we think God is. So the question I'd pose is, who do we think God is? Who do you think God is? Is he some far-off figment of our imagination, or is he an ever-present God who created all things and can do all things? And I think it's on us to figure out who we think God is. We have to, on a collective level, as a, a community of believers, but also on an, individual level, on an individual level, say, who do I think God is? But here, here's the thing. No matter what we think of God, no matter who we think God is, he is who he is. He's God. He's the creator of the universe, and we get to wrestle with who we believe God to be, who we believe Jesus to be, but he, he, who he is is not dependent on what we believe. He is who he is, the great I am. He isn't offended, though. He's ecstatic. He's ecstatic that we are taking time to seek truth and to figure out what it is that we believe. That we would be people who take time to actually wrestle with our doubts and wrestle with our questions and say, I want to believe. I want to know what it is that I believe in. Which leads us to the second part, our second point this week. It's doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It's an element of our faith. It's not the opposite of faith. Doubt is an element of our faith. So many times we haven't had it communicated to us that doubt means that we are lacking in faith, that if you have any doubts in your life, you don't have enough faith. However, doubt can be an actionable step towards discovering great faith. That in our doubts, we start to wrestle. In our doubts, we start to struggle with and and look into and read and and study and, and do all those things with our doubts. It can be a catalyst towards something amazing. And I don't know how many times I have had significant doubt about my faith probably more times than I can remember. I don't know how many times I have significant doubt about the relationships in my life, significant doubt about myself and my abilities. But what I also know is that in those moments are where I became even more intentional about finding the truth, about God, about myself, about my friends, about my relationships. In the moments of greatest struggle is often where the moments of greatest growth come. The greatest moments of growth in our lives are usually dur- during those times that like we are struggling to, to like their mountaintop experiences or, or valleys, however you want to look at it. Like the mountains in the way that we are struggling and we are fighting and we are clawing. And in the midst of that, that is where we become refined. It is where we learn. It's where we grow. We do not grow in times where everything's peachy. We grow in times of great struggle. Acts chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 says after his suffering, this is after the crucifixion. Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a por- period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. My father promised, which you have heard me speak about. This is the next point is that doubt happens in all of us. Doubt happens in all of us. We've kind of already touched on this, but it's really common for us to feel like we are all alone in our doubts. After Jesus died on the cross, his disciples were full of doubt. And we can completely understand why, right? They, they'd they just given like three years of their life to follow the Messiah. They thought that he was going to start a revolution. They thought that there was going to be a war and that they were going to establish a new kingdom, that the nation of Israel was going to be back, that they were going to take Rome down, like the prophecy was going to be fulfilled in the way that they read it. And there they were looking at their Messiah hanging on a cross, dying a criminal's death. And doubt had to have invaded every part of their being. What did I give myself to? What did I believe? So what did Jesus do? Did he just ascend into heaven and be like, hey, good luck. I'll see you in a few millennia? No. He appears to over 500 of his disciples because he understood their humanity. He understood that they were going to have doubts. And he, he fully realized that their doubts were valid that their questions were real. And he wanted to be someone who stepped into the middle of their doubt and said, no, look, here I am, see my scars, eat with me, listen to me, talk with me, walk with me. I would need you to know that I am the risen Messiah. Even when it seems like Jesus isn't present, even when it feels like Jesus isn't who he said he is, My prayer is that we would be people who are continually set on looking for him and asking questions and struggling and wrestling with all the truths that he speaks. That we would be people who are never set on giving up, but people who are set on always seeking truth. The next point is this, is that our doubt will benefit others. I know that kind of sounds backwards, but I'll explain it by using a quote from one of my favorite pastors and somebody who's far smarter than I am, and his name is Tim Keller. He says, A faith without some doubts, he says is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if he or she has failed over the years to listen to their own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but of their friends and neighbors. See, as we work through the questions and doubts that we have ourselves, it will lead us to better understanding the doubts of others. And as we listen to the doubts and questions of others, it'll help us better understand our own doubts. You might be listening to this right now and think that Jesus is like a, a crazy thing, and and uh, somebody sent you this podcast, and or you you happened upon it, and you're just like, I, I don't know if I believe what what this guy's talking about. Um, I don't know if I'm going to drink the Kool Aid, like all those different things. And can I just assure you, like we've all been there at some point or another, we we never knew if this is what we believed, even if we grew up in a household like I did, like I grew up with with amazing parents who who instilled Jesus into me in a very early age, but there was still a moment where I had to make a tangible choice, and there's moments. Every day where I have to make tangible, practical choices to say, I'm going to step from one area into another area saying, I'm I'm not going to live in this uncertainty. I'm going to live in the certainty of Jesus because I believe that he changes everything. I believe that he changes everything. You see, Jesus will regularly take the biggest areas of doubt in our lives and he will turn them into areas of the greatest assurance. He'll say, hey, this is where you had the biggest questions and I gave you a big answer, and now that is where you are rock solid secure on who I am and who I want you to be. So we need to be people who ask questions and and have doubts. We just need to present those things before the Lord and allow him to actually give us answers. That doesn't mean we throw questions and then run away. That means that we ask questions and we earnestly and honestly seek the truth. The last passage that we're going to look at today is out of Mark chapter 9. A boy is possessed by an impure spirit and the people of the town are trying to get Jesus to do something about it. So they bring him to Jesus and and this is the exchange that happens. Mark chapter 9 verses 20 through 24. So they brought him. Help me overcome my unbelief. You can be full of faith and have doubt at the same time. You can be full of faith and have doubt at the same time. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The father believed that Jesus was who he said he was, but it was so hard for him to wrap his mind around his son being healed from childhood. From an early age, his son was this. This was his reality. This was his truth. That he had been possessed by an impure spirit that threw him into fire and water and was trying to kill him. And I cannot imagine the psychological impact that that has on a father. And so while he's looking at the Messiah and this man that he believes can heal his son, he also is having a really hard time in his own human mind to comprehend what it would mean to have a healthy son. So what happens? Does Jesus look at this father and say, you should have more faith? You should have more faith. If you had more faith, I'd heal your son. No, he recognizes the statement. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And he heals his son. You see, Jesus works in our doubts. Jesus works with our doubts. Jesus works despite our doubts. We will have moments where we are full of faith in all things and we will have moments where we aren't. But no matter what the season is, no matter what the moment is, we always get the ability to say, Jesus, Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. If you are in Billings, we'd love to have you in person. We are doing in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at Faith Chapel at 7 o'clock. If you're not in Billings or you don't have the ability to come on Tuesday nights, keep listening to the podcast. We'll be back next week with part three of our series, Legion.